Peace of Christ be with you. As we gather in this place, I invite you to take about three deep breaths and allow yourself to be drawn into the presence of the Spirit and held by this house of prayer. Friends, it's a holiday weekend. You could almost have your own pew. But we trust that we have just who we need here. So let us worship God. Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. Friends, you have been called to this place. Let us receive the gifts of the day. You have been called by God to be a blessing. 
Help us to feel worthy of this gift. You have been given what you need. Help us to trust in God's sure provision. You may be seated. Welcome to worship here at Westminster. We're glad you're here, whether you're a long-term member, a visitor, or a newcomer. If you're new to this place and you haven't already, we hope that this morning after the service, you take a moment and you stop at the welcome table and learn more about the life and work of this church. Now, please turn to your bulletin and let us pray together our prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, calling God, equipping God, we long to hear your voice, or perhaps we hear your voice and long to know it's real. Grant us assurance of your abiding love. Out of that assurance, nurture in us a desire to respond to your call to loving service in the world. Cultivate a trust that you will give us what we need. Continue to grow this community that we might blossom into new life. Amen. The good news of the gospel is this, that God so loved the world, God so loved the world, that God gave God's precious child. Friends, 
know that we have been set free to truly live and be at peace. Amen. I invite the children forward now for a time of discovery. Good morning. My name is Sherry, and I am Pastor Rob's wife, and I'm Liam's mom, but I'm also a minister. That's why I'm wearing this robe. And ministers talk a lot about a word, and it's faith and being faithful. And that can sometimes be kind of confusing. What does that mean? But it's really simple. It means this. It means that God loves you so much and knowing that God loves you so much no matter what. That God loves you and you and you and you and God loves you and you and you and you and you so much no matter what. And that that love helps us to do wonderful things. It helps us to be kind and it helps to be, us to be generous and share our things. And it helps us to be brave, even when we're afraid. And everybody's afraid sometimes. In a minute, you're going to go to Sunday school, and you're going to learn many stories about many different people who are faithful. Many different people who are faithful. Some of them were robes, but most of them did not. But what they all had in common was they knew God loved them, and God's love helped them do great things and small things. And when you learn their stories and you learn their names, I want you to remember two things. One, in the Bible, it's not only where you're going to find faithful people, but all around this room are people with names and stories about the ways God loved them and how God helped them do wonderful things, big and strong and small. And the other, one last thing that's most important is to remember that you, each one of you, is one of God's faithful people, that God loves you no matter what so much, and that God will do wonderful things, big and small, through you. Will you pray with me? Why don't you pray after me? So I'll say it, and then you can say the same thing, okay? All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for faith. Thank you that your love will help us do great things, big and small. Amen. You can go to Sunday school now. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. This is a time in our service where we share our joys and concerns so that we can not only learn what's going on in the lives of one another, but hold one another in prayer in our shared community and world in prayer. If you have a joy or concern, just raise your hand and we'll call on you. I feel like an elementary school teacher. I'll wait. <laughs> Lynn. So if you don't know Lynn, you should, but um, uh, that's an invitation, not a commandment. Lynn is our seminarian, and she is facing some choices about how to spend our summer, including a potential trip to Pakistan to work with the Presbytery over there. But Lynn has been richly blessed with all kinds of spiritual gifts and interests, and those uh, multiple gifts can be stressful, trying to figure out which ones to water in which season. So we pray for you. Yeah. Others? Yes, please, Tila.
So prayers for a, a friend, a young woman with breast cancer that has spread, and also prayers for those who care for those people. It can be hard to be the caregiver too, so we lift those up to God. Others? Oh, please, Elizabeth. I have a prayer for Val Henderson. Val Henderson yeah. was a longtime member of this church. Her husband, Lloyd Henderson, is a Presbyterian minister. She moved to be with her family in Southern California, I think, about two years ago. Her cancer's now progressed and it's uh, over her body. Uh, so uh, we learned that in the Wednesday class. So I'm just passing on that information. Thank you, Elizabeth. I wasn't aware of that. Many of you remember Val Henderson. Val and Lloyd were here for many years. Lloyd died. And um, Val moved to Southern California to be close to family. She has had cancer for some time, but it is now apparently spread uh, throughout her body. And if you know Val, you don't just have to pray for her. You can also reach out to her, and we can give you her information if you need it. Sandra. Yeah, Sandra lifts up, I'm sure, what's on many of your hearts and minds, and a Memorial Day prayer. Thank you, Sandra. Others? Well, let us enter into a posture of prayer. Gracious God, we are mindful in this moment of all the challenges in our own personal lives as well as the causes for gratitude and celebration. We're mindful this weekend in particular of the cost of war. We're mindful of the pain of separating children from families. We're mindful of the pain of children shooting children in school. Oh God, we simply seek to be in this world as you would have us be. And so we turn to Jesus, asking him to teach us how to be just as he taught us how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
The first scripture reading is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Our second scripture lesson for this morning comes to us from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. This is holy wisdom, holy word. As I mentioned earlier, I know many are traveling this weekend and this week I'm, I'm remembering in particular a vacation to the beach her family took a number of years ago, and every time we're driving around now and a particular version of the wheels on the bus comes on, I am instantly transported back to that place. I can tell you the make and model of the rental car. I can remember the towels that we pinned to the seats to protect them from us. I remember the sound of our sandaled feet on the floor mats. I remember the ubiquitous smell of warm ocean air and sunblock. Just like that, I'm transported into that space. Isaiah similarly puts us right into a scene, drawing on our senses, giving us this vivid memory. Granted, the stakes are a little higher in Isaiah's case than the beach vacation, but work with me. In his scene, and this comes from what's called the memoir section of Isaiah's prophecy, he, he says there are six-winged seraphs flying around, and there's smoke and smog in the air, fire. There's, there, the, the hem of God's robe fills the temple itself. 
instantly put in the sea. Now, this isn't a beach vacation. This is a call story. When somebody hears the voice of God or the leading of spirit to do something. Now, we often retell Isaiah's story or other stories like it, celebrating his faithful response. Here I am. Isaiah responds to the call. And in doing so, we leave something out. We leave something vital out. It's the fact that God gives Isaiah what Isaiah needs to answer that call. There's this moment where Isaiah, you see, he doesn't just say instantly say, oh, sure, here I go, I'll, I'll go, I'll drop everything. Isaiah first is reserved. And instead says, well, God, I have unclean lips. Now, I'm, I'm not as interested today in the nature of Isaiah's lips or, I mean, that's a sermon series, being someone of unclean lips in a world of people with unclean lips. For the purposes of today, what I want to focus on is the reality that Isaiah expresses a need, a deficiency, a weakness. And God doesn't judge Isaiah or shame Isaiah or punish Isaiah. God just meets Isaiah right where Isaiah is. Takes a coal and and touches it to his lips. Yeah, Jackson, I think it's the hear I think it's your hearing aid that's doing it. No, that's okay. That's okay. I just want to make sure you can hear, but yeah. Um Isaiah uh, the seraph touches a coal to Isaiah's lips and instantly that gives Isaiah what he needs in order to say, here I am. It, it's an important moment, but we have to be careful when we hear this moment because we can go terribly wrong with it. What I don't like is uh, the, the theology, which I find um, bankrupt, quite frankly, that says God only gives you what you can handle. Because that basically says every tragedy you have, you deserve. And every suffering people endure, they somehow asked for. Or they're going to grow from it, and it'll be splendid if it doesn't kill them. That theology has um, infiltrated its way into the church and has hurt a lot of people, and it's wrong. There's a subtle difference, but a powerful one that says, it's not that God will only give you what you can handle, but I do believe that God will call you to things for which God will also equip you. And you won't be called into a ministry or a a vocation that you aren't equipped to handle through what's inside you or what's around you or the creativity that can flow from you or from others. If you are called, you will be equipped. That's a very different notion than the value that tends to dominate our society uh, our culture that, that, that dominates our economy, our unsustainable economy, that's built on this notion of scarcity that says you aren't enough and you don't have enough. And the only way to get it is to go get it before someone else does. And you do that by buying stuff. And if that system worked at creating well-being, we wouldn't have a society riddled with inequality. We wouldn't, we who have so much, be so riddled with anxiety, riddled with exhaustion. No, in, in God's economy, people have what they need. And they feel so secure in those provisions that they freely give to help others and to bless the world. Do you sense the difference there? And when I say work or vocation, I don't mean what we're paid to do. I mean, that can be part of it, but what, what our soul loves to do and what the world needs us to do. Now, that's a pretty hard question to answer sometimes. I think of the young people here figuring out, although they're not the only ones figuring out their work in this world, well, one way to figure out your vocation, if you're asking that question, is to start at the end, start with the gifts you've been given and work backwards. See what those things are that you love to do, that you do well, and how can you do them in a way that blesses the world? 
I heard an interview this week from a Ben uh, Lecomte, and uh, he's a good swimmer. It's a bit of an understatement. He once swam the Atlantic Ocean in eight-hour chunks, so he's a, a very good swimmer. And soon, he is going to embark on a little swim from Tokyo to San Francisco, eight hours a day. It'll take him, you know, six months swimming every day, all day. But it just... He isn't doing this simply as an athletic feat, uh, a test of endurance, as inspiring as that might be. He's going to strap his body and the research vessel that will go with him with equipment to measure microplastics in the ocean. And will measure other pollutants like radioactive cesium to draw attention to uh, the suffering of God's world. Now, you could say, Ben, skip the swim, you know, just... The boat would be plenty, thank you. But, you know, as the Reverend Jan Reynolds said a couple weeks ago in an organizing committee meeting, she said there's something powerful about where we put our bodies. We stand in certain places and say something prophetic with where we stand. Well, you might be saying, well, that's nice. I don't have six months and uh, swimming's too easy for me. So I'm not going to do something like that. But there are opportunities all around us and we're limited only by our creativity. Well, not only, but largely by our creativity. Take Aaron Elliott, for example. Many of you know Aaron Elliott, longtime member of this congregation. And throughout the year, she's been offering yoga classes here on Monday mornings, and she'll begin again in the fall, if you're interested. Aaron has many gifts to offer the world, but that's one of them. And it, I thought it was a blessing to do it in the church, because we Presbyterians are so caught up on our heads, it's nice to integrate our bodies and our breath. For me, it wasn't as much exercise as it was embodied prayer, spiritual experience. But Aaron didn't let it stop there. She she realized she could take that gift and turn it even more outward than simply being a teacher. She said, I'm going to offer this class donations only so people can pay what they can. And I'm going to take half the proceeds and give it to the church. And in the fall, she gave to the uh, legacy fund, the endowment of the church. And in the spring, she turned uh, the giving to the capital campaign to support the renovation of our church home. And over $1,000 she raised simply by taking her gift, what she loved, and turning out to bless the world with it. It's a win for everyone. Well, speaking of capital campaign, I pro- was, it, was that, I thought, I thought that was smooth when I wrote it. It just, oh, guess what? We're talking about, who writes these things? I promise you last week I would talk about Westminster Presbyterian in Minneapolis. Remember that? I talked about their pastor who used to pastor in San Francisco and now pastors a church that shares our name uh, in Minneapolis. And I wanted to talk about them because they have finished what you're in the middle of right now. So there is light at the end of this tunnel. They just finished a capital campaign. A little bigger, $80 million. Eight zero. Now, they're bigger than we are. They're about six times our size. But if you do the math, their goal was 28 times our size. And they hit it, by the way. Uh, but I'm not actually all that interested in uh, the number around their dollars. And I'm not all that interested in talking about our numbers right now. What I'm really interested in and inspired by is the way that church heard God's calling to be a witness to the resurrection in that city, in that complex world, in practical, creative ways. And they clearly trusted that they were equipped with what they needed to do God's work. And there's several examples of how they lived out that trust, that faith that you heard about uh, earlier with the children. But a little background is in order, first of all. Like other urban congregations, Westminster knows that the number one concern for a a church is access to their building. And for decades, Westminster enjoyed a sweetheart deal with the city on parking. Well, a couple years ago, it became clear that deal was going to come up. And so they needed to find a new way. And creative members in the congregation stepped up and started to uh, propose a way forward. 
And they decided they were going to purchase two properties adjacent to their building, which of course required significant money. One of those buildings was run by a slumlord. But as decrepit as the conditions were, it was still home to 60 families who'd been living there for decades, some of them, on 30-day leases. So uh, legally, the church was only required to give them 30 days notice eviction. That's the law. It's not the gospel. So what Westminster decided to do is make a covenant to say, we will work with every one of the families in that building uh, until they are satisfied with uh, a new home, a relocation. And they spent six months doing it and placed every single family in each case into a better situation than they were in before, agreed upon by the family and the church. But that's not all. The church raised enough money that they gave every one of those families a big cash payout so they had a nest egg uh, to start with in their new life. You see, Westminster does what's called a double tithe every time they raise money. Tithe means 10%. Westminster always raises 20% above their own needs to give away in mission, in service to the larger community and world. In addition to placing those families, Westminster doubled down on their commitment to affordable housing in the city. In their last campaign, which was in the early 2000s, they do about one a decade or so, maybe more, most churches do. They had started an affordable housing project in the city, and by the end of this current campaign, they will have built single-handedly over 160 affordable housing units in the city of Minneapolis, all by themselves. That's not all. Westminster recognized that their building itself could be a blessing to the wider world. They needed it for their own programs, but they knew the community needed it too. Now, some of you are from the Midwest. Others of you travel for work. So you might know that Minneapolis is home to a really large Somali population, if you've heard this or not, immigrants. And what you may not know is the Somali population there uh, suffers from disproportionately high levels of autism and spectrum disorders. Now, the city is pretty good at providing services or nonprofits or somebody is providing those services, but they largely lie in the suburbs, away from public transportation and easy access from these families. So Westminster decided to build enough space that they could lease out at a below market rate uh, the facilities where schools and other social services could be given to those autistic children in their building. And so every day, Somalis full in the Muslim head wrap are walking the halls of Westminster Presbyterian Church, God's kingdom. And they did the same for a counseling center so that there would be space for people to receive mental and spiritual health care in their church. And they did the same for a senior center so that seniors could have care in the heart of the city. I mean that quite literally, the heart of the city in the church. Powerful witness of hearing God's calling and trusting they had what they needed to respond to that calling faithfully. Now you might say, well, that's an awful lot to take on. But remember what the Apostle Paul said, I didn't give you a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear Paul reminds us that we've been given a spirit of freedom and liberation and we have been claimed as God's own children. If God will claim us as God's own children, will God abandon us? Now, if we're real about things, we will recognize that the equipment for our calling doesn't always come on our own time frame. It doesn't always come as easily as we would like. And so this kind of path requires resilience and persistence and endurance. You have to keep at it and at it and at it. But if you do, well, watch what happens. Lisa Ann McKenzie is a barber, and she had one particularly challenging client. Ch challenging not to any fault of the client. It was a young boy, about 10, I think, named Jordy. And Jordy lives with autism. And for him, the, the texture and the sound of the scissors against the hair, the clippers, insufferable. He just couldn't stand it. 
So every time they tried to bring Jordy to get a haircut, she'd get a couple clips in and then it was over. He was in hysterics. And she found herself following him around uh, the, the shop or he would scream and or they would be on the ground trying to do it on the ground. But each time, same result, a couple of clips and that was it. She never charged him a full cut because he never got a full cut. But she didn't give up. She decided to start bringing him in after hours, thinking a calmer environment might help, uh, but to no avail. And not only to no avail, her boss, the owner of the shop, chastised her for it, thought it was a, a waste of their resources and a waste of time, and why are you doing that? Not everybody wants to jump on board with the call, by the way. But she kept going, and she stepped out in faith, and she started her own shop, in large part so she could help Jordy. And there, every two weeks, they would bring him in for a haircut. And every two weeks, they would fail. Until one day, in desperation, I'm sure, not knowing what to do, trying the same old tricks for some unknown reason except to God herself, she started singing children's songs, nursery rhymes, and all of a sudden, Jordy locked in and calmed down and released and those parents watched as snip by snip, Mackenzie cut Jordy's hair for the first time. It's an entirety. And they must have listened in rapt attention as she sang. Wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round and round. Don't you miss that calling because you don't trust that you will be equipped to answer it. And we shouldn't miss our calling because we don't trust that we will be given what we need to do the work we're called to do. Because the Spirit is moving in this place. Round and round. Round and round. All through this town too. Amen.
may be seated. This time I invite Judy Saxford, chair of our capital campaign efforts. After last night's basketball game, I thought maybe we should have a little bit of what happened in the locker room at halftime. <laughs> I wanted to share the Sachs family pledge decision with you this morning. And it's a big decision, as you probably know. Mark and I discussed it many times. We love this church. It's dedication to outreach, to education, to community, like the men's connection and the women's connection. Westminster acts on our faith. We support each other. We're an engaged, caring congregation. We also know how real the need is for that planned restoration and renewal work. <clears throat> it's overdue. A couple of examples. Many of you know about the REST program and the Thursday Hot Lunch, where we serve hundreds of meals to needy people in the community. What you probably don't know is that Carolyn Gray, for years, has come here every week with a huge plastic bag full of paper products to support those meals because she keeps them at her house because there's not room here and we have to have paper products because we don't have a dishwasher. That can change. The upgrades are going to address other space challenges. Our loving creation group had to wait six months to be able to schedule the eco-fair that we had last fall because there were so many other worthy events that were planned. We had to wait. No place to go. With the renovations, we can have an eco-fair, we can have a youth meeting, we can have lots of different things at the same time. Mark and I really believe that this campaign will allow Westminster to do more for future generations and for our community. But we're retired. There's that fixed income thing, you know. Our grandkids live across the country. We don't want to give up visiting them. We plan to live to at least 95, so we're going to need our investments. We don't have property to sell, and we don't have inheritance. But we really want to be as generous as possible. We want to make it possible for the amazing work that's done here to continue. More middle school trips, more environmental action, more opportunities to open our doors to the community. So we looked at the creative giving options. They're in that campaign brochure that you got. And we noted that it's possible to funnel our re required minimum distribution. Now, a lot of you people are too young to have to do that. <laughs> but for my retirement, those investments can go directly to the campaign. This means that we avoid paying taxes on that money, and the total amount can go to support the building effort. I was self-employed for a couple, a number of years. So uh, my investments are kind of scattered. But you know, it only took an hour or so to sit down with our investment guy and do the paperwork and make that happen. So that means for the next three years, that money that we used to put into a trip or bigger Christmas gifts will be going to this great effort. But all of it's going. Nothing's going to be lost to taxes. We also have the joy, the giving part, that's more lasting than the years. We'll have the joy of seeing that beautiful sunlight coming through the narthex out there. And we'll see people coming in to this space and people with children coming back because the Sunday school area is going to be more welcoming. We'll see more young people graduating after having had the experience of mission trips with Jeff Schenkel. We'll marvel at that shiny, efficient kitchen and the meals prepared for those who are hungry. Mark reminded me that this building campaign gives a new generation the opportunity to support growth with Westminster. The first generation 
started the church. The second generation built this sanctuary. Now, 30 years later, this is our opportunity to invest for the next generation. Next Sunday morning, when we gather here for worship, we'll be bringing our pledges to the Westminster 2020 Forward in Faith campaign. If you haven't yet made your pledge, I encourage you to prayerfully consider how you can give generously and creatively for the future of this amazing church. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Friends, the end is in sight. That must feel really good to Judy. Uh, and to many of us. Uh, you want to say something about the banquet? Come on up and I'll blab while you come up. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's an awesome responsibility that you all are stepping up to. And it's easy in a moment like this to get nervous. We're going to make it. How much are we going to raise? Are we going to get there? Remember, we weren't called to fall back into a spirit of fear. And I invite you, as those nervous feelings come up, to instead sink right back down and think of the awesomeness of getting to stop in a moment of possibility. We're still in the moment of possibility when, with God's help, we can make this happen. So if you start to feel anxious, you sink back into that prayer place and you trust that we have what we need to do what we're called to do. And we stand and deliver and we celebrate together. I'm in. You in? All right. Say something, Bruce. <laughs> Gee, I forgot. Uh, no, this Saturday, this coming Saturday, June 2nd, as everyone has seen, we're going to be having our Forward in Faith Celebration Banquet. It's going to be held at the Elks Club in San Rafael. And those who have signed up uh, should receive directions to it and where you can park. Uh, also, it's going to be in the garden. So it's 5 to 7.30. So I just advise you to bring something, a wrap, sweater, whatever, just something if it gets a little cooler towards the end of the program. Uh, we hope to have a very exciting time there. We're not asking for pledges at the banquet. This is purely a celebration. And then on Sunday, we're having a children's party, uh, having a magician, and a shaved ice truck afterwards. And it's open to the adults, too, but they have to pay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, hope to see the ones that are already coming to the banquet and have some shaved ice. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you, Bruce, and for all the work you've done organizing that, we are grateful indeed. Well, there is much going on in the life of this beloved community, and if you look at your bulletin, you see just a taste of those offerings as well as on the website, and some of them involve us serving one another and taking care of each other and nurturing our faith, and many of them point outward into the community in serving the wider community. We've taken to heart that witness uh, of the gospel to do that. I want to lift up just one and then encourage you to uh, spend time on your own looking at the rest of them. Uh, in light of uh, another round of school shootings, I was reminded this morning by Carol Kaufman to lift up this Golden Gate Bridge march happening this coming Saturday. I'm going to go to the march and then go to the banquet. Um, and I invite you to do so as well. There is information in your bulletin about how you can carpool and we can connect. So we walk not just as private citizens, but as people of faith to stand up for a safer world for our children. Other than that, again, I encourage you to look and, and see what is in the church that is calling to you. Calling for you to step out in faith and to grow your faith and to grow this beloved community. And with that, friends, let us join together in our closing hymn, number 69.
if you are wondering, the answer is yes, it is you. It is you. It's you. But you don't have to answer that calling alone. You answer it with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ by your side. You answer it with the love of God who is father and mother of us all above you and behind you. And you answer it with the communion of the Holy Spirit and the communion of this community all around you now and forevermore. Amen.